Koi gig part. For me, it's difficult because if Chelsea aren't playing well or they need something to get someone to get them out of it, I don't think they have it. So I think they're in a difficult place. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. The news round on Off the Ball with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave with your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Hello there, off the ball friends. What a Monday show we have for you because, frankly, it was a ridiculous weekend. Andy Farrell's insatiable desire for adversity reportedly was met. Uh, we didn't think it could happen, but we got there. Keen Healy at hooker, Vanderfleer on line out duty. That's more like it, said Farrell. Now we're talking Rory O'Connor, Gordon Darcy on Monday Night Rugby as Ireland within touching distance of a Grand Slam. Meanwhile, uh, the BBC, it would seem, has completely crumbled, although Tim Davey has denied that. Gary Lineker back on air. He most certainly will not apologise and he will bloody tweet what he wants in future. That seems to be the deal. Uh, We'll talk to Simon Cooper after nine o'clock. Pat Nevin as well, who interestingly did go on the BBC yesterday pretty much the only pundit who went on. So we'll talk to Pat about that. Uh, Plus this hour, Tommy Welch talks hurling. The Hurling League, uh, not since the BBC, the Hurling League, uh, have we seen an institution receive such bad press. Uh, (laughs) There is an air of, what is the point of this in a lot of people's eyes? So curious to see what Tommy makes of it all. 53106, the text number, we'll add off the ball on Twitter. Michael McCarthy, hello. A lot of issues there to get through. There's a few to get through. This this is this is one of those classic Mondays. We're in we're in mid March now. We've got three months of this now where we just have to we, we won't fit everything into Monday show. Apparently at half time to be confirmed, but Andy Farrell at Hulk Hogan style ripped his shirt <laughs> and started screaming more adversity. I was talking to Stephen Doyle about this in the office earlier. Right? He was saying, like, he's like, that adversity thing. Like, you know, it's like, it's one of those things I just want to be cynical about. I just assume that, you know, it's just like, oh, stop banging on about these things. But then this is exactly, this is exactly what happens. And, you know, it's like, you know, the way they reacted, like, you know. Yeah. Um, unbelievable I, character. Like. <laughs> the way it's all been uh, talked about. Like, it's gone completely OTT now, the adversity thing. Yeah. Uh, Dave McSavage used to do a version of Joe Duffy where he was a masochist and would put like, no. you know, uh, <laughs> pegs on his nipples. And the more awful the phone call, uh, the more into it he would get. I feel like there's a David McSavage, Andy Farrell uh, version coming your way soon. Yeah. Good well, Lord, Joe. I'm just gonna, <laughs> That's where your mind went. Are you not seeing that, Richie? That your nipple clamps on Andy Farrell and it's only five minutes past seven. Not, I'm, not I'm since Louis Van Gaal has masochism uh, been uh, on my radar with the coach. <laughs> Uh, just great interviews. Just to gloss over all of that, uh, the adversity in the in the the reason we were talking about it was another thing that actually did happen at halftime, as well as the Hulk Hogan, uh, um, you know, uh, t-shirt tear was Farrell talking about the players kind of like laughing, and I just love that. Like, it, it, and it's it's one of those things like they didn't like it wasn't that they found it funny. It was like right, like I can't believe this is happening, but. That's just the position that they're in. They're like, you know, I, I don't know whether they thought like this is all going against us. We can't win. We can win. But if the fact it was that they were able to just go like, what the F has happened here, lads? And have that sort of attitude to it as opposed to panic, worry or, you know, any of those other negative vibes that you could bring into something like that instead of it's like, you know, what are we going to do here? Like, what are we going to do? Oh, look, we've got a plan. And they went out and executed that plan to, I think, to a way that like they couldn't have expected. And then... You know, Scotland helped them along the way, I would say, as well. But we'll get into all that later. Richie, as Conan came off the bench to perform brilliantly, as Van der Fleer fired in lineouts, as mm. Keane Healy was part of a scrum winning pack, I presume you, like most of us, did say to yourself, bloody hell, there is genuinely something 
very very special happening with this team yeah, it's weird. Um, I was I was talking about it with, with Martin King and Ireland AM yesterday, and we're uh, when you're talking about and previewing a match, you're kind of thinking, yeah, you want to tip Ireland to win because all the evidence suggests that they are going to win and they that they are the better side. And then when they managed to do that and press that point home without a hooker on the pitch, with uh, Josh van der Flaer throwing lineouts, and I think only throwing one bad one in essence, there was one that he overshot. The first one, yeah, and then. Yeah, and then yeah, from then, then on, he had, on maybe, he, had, yeah. he had his eye in. But like, generally, to do that and to and, uh, put a score on Scotland in the second half when I know Hugh Cahill was pointing out in commentary, Scotland made virtue during the, the entire competition so far of that third quarter where between halftime and 60th minute, they would manage to put the majority of their points on the board and Ireland kept them scoreless in the second half, which is with the diminished playing squad that they had at their disposal. It's not hubris and it's not arrogance to say that this team is genuinely something quite special in the history of Irish sport because as good as the peaks have been for different teams, I think they've been pretty brief with other rugby teams in particular. Yeah. This one seems like it, it's it's obviously sustained for uh, you know a year, two years now at this stage really and looks like it could go even further. And it's it, we should revel in it while it's there and not be nervous about it and not be... You know, reluctant about praising it because they are something now, quite we? special. Because yeah. yeah. actually, if I don't they... know. There's there's still that thing in the back of people's minds where it's like, ah, look, it might go wrong. Like even going into the Scotland game yesterday, ah, oh, look, Finn Russell, yada yada yada. And Rob Kearney was brilliant with you on Saturday, Joe, where he pointed out Finn Russell's a decent player, but by God, does he make some mental mistakes? And he yeah. did again yesterday. Kearney's not buying it. Thinks that the hype has been yeah. way OTT. There's still too many deficiencies there, and and it's you know he's he's having a you good tournament. I mean, he got ran mm. over after five minutes, and they mentioned that on commentary. But you know to, what I mean? That's a part, huge part of rugby. You know, you can't just not do that. To Richie's point, um, given the series win in New Zealand and the various other things they do, were they to win the Grand Slam at the weekend and make the quarterfinal stages at the World Cup and get knocked out? Uh, let's uh, say for a second by an amazing French performance in front of 80,000 at the Stade de France. They still, by dint of their CV, this Grand Slam included, and the test win in, the series win rather, in New Zealand, they go down as the greatest Irish team that we've seen. Ah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, well, I mean, we do have to see what they do with the World Cup because, like, losing in the quarterfinal is, it can be different in many different ways. But as you said, you lose 27 26 in an all time classic, the greatest game in World Cup history to France. Yeah. It doesn't really matter where you go out. That's something that we're all um, obsessing over because of history. Yeah. But for this actual team, um, that's something that can happen and not really massively affect them. They can be the, the the best, second best or joint best team in the world. You know what I mean? And no other Irish team has ever really been that. Yeah. So, you know, again, and, and I do accept. you don't want to be just hanging on just results. No, sure. And I do accept times. were they to blow it massively and it's an 07 World Cup, then of course that No, it does hang out. It, it would make a huge difference. But just on like, so watching that yesterday, just again, just in ter- terms of how big an achievement it is like, and, and what they did. Again, we've won in Murrayfield plenty of times. Scotland weren't great in the second half. That's important. But like Ireland kind of killed their spirit, I think, by reacting in the way they did in the, you know, after about 10 minutes of madness, Ireland calmed down, got two quick tries and Scotland couldn't react to it. But Scotland, which you were saying about all the, the, the points they get in that second quarter, you're thinking this is a way you're sitting there going this is a Grand Slam gone by circumstance what a disaster yeah. like it's because of this you know and you're just assuming that this is going to catch up with Ireland and instead the opposite happened and not only did they stop uh, Scotland's tide but Scotland never had a chance of a score three points or seven points in the second half of that game they didn't have a chance mm. they never really played were they in the 22 at all in the second half 
not to my memory, but yet it felt like it was slipping away for 10 minutes because Ireland, with all the madness at, in the line-out and the, the scrum, especially when Kelleher was still on, and the idea that Healy was going to come on and what was going to happen, they panicked a little bit in, in, a, in a very understandable way, but they actually never, you know, Scotland never actually... May, took any advantage of it or looked like they were going to oh. score any point. And it's like, it's incredible how on top of things and how professional that Irish team stayed and how they were able to actually go and win really easily in the end. That's actually one of the most important things. Oh, it was well, the, a handy win. Like. The last 20 minutes, once Lowe scored that try, those two tries in four minutes, it, you, you could very comfortably have turned off the TV because the game was over. Ireland were in yeah. total control. Scotland looked like maybe they'd gassed themselves out of touch in trying to set this ferocious pace. Gibson Park actually, instead of Ireland trying to stay with Scotland, yeah. Ireland went off to another level. We'll talk about it with Rory and uh, Gordon Darcy later on. I know Rory, for instance, thinks it's bizarre the extent to which Scotland did not try and take advantage of the Irish line-out. I just thought they were just going to keep kicking it into touch at one point and but, didn't really understand why they didn't. Yeah. yeah. And and even though, I mean, and Hugh Cal did say in commentary after Van der Fleer overthrew the first line out and then went to the front predominantly thereafter. I mean, like three guesses, Scotland. What, what do you think Van der Fleer is going to do? Mm. Like force him to go to the back. Otherwise populate the front of that line out with as much pressure as possible. And by the way, let's keep kicking out. And Rory also was making the point that... Uh, Kelleher maybe was on the field for 10 minutes and, oh, and he wasn't there he wasn't carrying yeah, he was, yeah, but yeah. They, they never made him tackle they never went after him they didn't get him to throw uh, more line outs or Van der Fleer throw more line outs so uh, something went badly awry at the same time with Scotland I don't think it's the old traditional oh Scotland capitulated because in the first half Scotland were brilliant mm. they're really good I mean they were a bit scary at times their centre partnership is amazing yeah genuinely yeah. really good uh, so they didn't capitulate like they didn't get weighed down by the triple crown pressure and the atmosphere. They were there. But second half, I don't know, was it like a rugby IQ issue or a maturity issue or what? But but something went badly right for them. Now, we don't have to spend Monday trying to figure that no, out. No, but there has to be something in it because, I mean, I think there is a little bit of interest in, in what the Scottish rugby psyche is and what the problems are here because we've been dealing with it for so long and whether there is hubris on their side or not, I suppose is the, it, that's a debate for another day. But, you know, they ran out the ball out of play you know, early in the... Like, it wasn't very long into that try-scoring chance. They didn't need to go hell for leather and then time ran out at the end of the first half. Ireland went in ahead when they had no business to... When the whole first half was just dominated by those injuries, you and, know, and... And there was the Vandermeer... I don't know if they ever came back from Vandermeer that. not passing to Hogg and Klein outside him. Yeah. So that you, they'll have some regrets. I know, actually, Richie, Gary Ringrose is your first story, so we'll start the news round. It's brought to you with Gillette Labs. You can get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now, and there is positive news on, on Ringrose because, uh, I mean, as as he, Rich, sat there, half yeah. sitting up with his hand in the air, but also not moving, like it was chilling. It was awful. It was. You know, it really was. And the amount of time that it took, I guess, to, to remove him from the field as well, uh, albeit it ended with a thumbs up. But as expected, yesterday's win over Scotland has had a huge impact on the Ireland squad ahead of their Grand Slam decider. Gary Ringrose is said to be doing well and indeed back in Dublin, having been stretched off due to a blow to the head from Blair Kinghorn's leg in yesterday's win over Scotland. Ian Henderson, meanwhile, he has to undergo surgery on a fractured arm. He left Murrayfield in a cast yesterday, having been removed after 24 minutes. Caelan Doris is going to have a hip complaint managed by the Ireland medical staff this week. 
but Andy Farrell yesterday was hopeful that Doris will be fit. Dan Sheehan and Ronan Kelleher nurse shoulder injuries. They too will be managed, but Ulster Hooker, Tom Stewart and Leinster Lock Ross Maloney have been added to the squad this week. Jack Conan was among the tries yesterday and was delighted with the nature of Ireland's win. Resilience. I think, um, you know, we obviously overcame a lot of adversity early on. You're losing incredibly good players. Um, some things you can't prep for, you know, Josh having to throw in the line out, Keane Healy coming on playing hooker in the scrums. Um, so, look, they're, they're things you can't, you don't worry about during the week, but it's a testament to the squad about how we just got on with it. We didn't we didn't let it phase us. We just kept on trying to play our own game. And um, so many lads stepped up to the mantle today, and it's fantastic. And, you know, I was saying to some lads earlier, it was one of the greatest days in green I've ever been a part of. And, you know, it, you, you nearly feel emotional about it, talk about it afterwards, about how pr- proud you are of each other, about how much hard work, how much sacrifice you put into it. And to go out there and get the win when it wasn't easy, and, you know, you're 7 0 down or 7 3 down at one stage, and you're. You know, you, you kind of keep on hammering at it. You keep on pounding that rock and, and trying to be better and to, to pay off in the end. It's just fantastic. So, um, yeah, lads are delighted. We obviously need to be a lot better in, in some regards, but um, it was just such a great day to be part of as an Irish team. He was exceptional. He was brilliant when he came on. Circumstances. Yeah. England, Rich, they've lost the, the ball carrier that is Ollie Lawrence. However... Mm, they have Manny Tuolagi available again after suspension. He had been serving a ban up until this weekend after a red card received on club duty in February. Ollie Lawrence will be missing for their trip to Dublin. However, the bat centre sustained a hamstring injury in their record-breaking defeat to France on Saturday. Leicester's Guy Porter has been called in as cover, while Sellock, Johnny Hill and Harlequin's hooker Will Collier also pat out Steve Borthwick's squad this week. Uh, now, dreadful and, and shocking news as well. Mm. Yeah, widespread shock at the sudden death of Offaly football manager Liam Kearns. He'd taken a training session with the panel yesterday morning but complained of feeling unwell later in the day. He's mourned by his wife Angela and daughters Rachel and Laura as well as the wider GAA community. Kearns had spells in charge of Tipperary, Leash and Limerick before taking over from John Mohan in the Faithful County in August of last year. Speaking to Midlands Radio today, Offaly chairman Michael Dighton was among the many to pay tribute to Kearns. When he came to Offaly last uh last July I met him first up in the Faithful Fields he drove up to meet me and um, from day one we just hit it off he was a straight talker there was no nonsense he loved his football he was very passionate about wanting to come to Offaly you know he had lots of other offers on the table um, but um, he saw what we were trying to do where we were trying to go and he wanted to be part of that journey and you know poignantly he said to me back in, in the Faithful Fields that day that this would be his last job um, in inter-county football and we didn't think <laughs> <clears throat> we didn't think it ends like this. No, he certainly wouldn't have meant in these circumstances. Dreadful. Uh, condolences to all. It's uh, really shocking. So sudden. Awful. Yeah, so sad. I was watching the, the hurling highlights last night when that news kind of broke on Twitter and you had to really take a take a second look. You know, it was, you know, 60 years of age. Talk, Richie mentioned that they took awfully training yesterday morning by accounts... Um, really good form everything completely normal and that's hard to get your head around mm. you know uh, that's hard to get your head around someone who's been you know such a scene on the Gaelic football landscape for, for so long and still to be such a big part of it um, you know and just kind of embarking on this Offaly journey you know and there, there, there was there was a bit of there's excitement about a rebirth in Offaly and you know Liam Kearns was supposed to be a big part of this year and yeah just obviously just condolences to his family and to to everyone around him, but like just in terms of just even hearing this news, it's just it's a hard one to get your head around, isn't no, it? So sure sad. Is. Yeah, uh, Richie, the Gary Lineker 
BBC saga is at a, an end for the time being anyway. Yeah, it is. BBC Today reinstated Gary Lineker after a dramatic weekend. Director General Tim Davey confirmed their climb down this morning, apologising to the corporation's staff, contributors, presenters and audience, but not interestingly Lineker. On Twitter, Lineker thanked his colleagues for their remarkable show of solidarity. He again highlighted the plight of refugees arriving into the UK, adding that the UK remains, quote, a country of predominantly tolerant, welcoming and generous people. So it seems like a complete and total climb down in that Lineker is certainly not apologising, certainly not backing down and seemingly uh, returns with no restrictions on what he can tweet well, about going forward. <laughs> so, um, uh, name escapes me, sorry, Tim. Davey. Tim, Tim Davey. Davey, sorry. Did you've, heard that, you've heard that name 6,000 times. I've, I've been, year. I've been like, I, I've heard it too many times to remember it. It's actually gone, it's, it's scrambled my brain. But uh, he um, did an interview straight after where he's, he was asked directly, is, is Gary Lineker going to stop tweeting? And he's like, Gary has agreed until we come up with this new system and these new rules that he will abide by the guidelines. And then the next thing I seen, honestly, as I was still watching that, was Lineker's tweet. <laughs> that Richie just read out which I don't know if it like I mean again can you describe that as party political what he said there I would say no but that's the entire argument ever I would imagine that the BBC or Davey see it as um, see it as that so you know interesting that I I, there Lineker seemingly does have restrictions on what he can say based on the, the agreement but I think Gary was very quick to you know dip his toe in the water to show that that might not well, actually be the case in they're practice. Have, yeah, Looking at their they're going to have an independent media, review. Yeah, they'll, yeah. they'll get to the bottom of it. But the social media guidelines do stipulate that if you're a presenter of profile, mm-hmm. be that um, in Lineker's case where he's, I suppose, a freelancer of sorts or staff, that there is an obligation to be impartial. But in practice, it's pretty clear after this he can tweet whatever he wants mm-hmm. going forward. I'm just curious to see to what extent he's now going to lean into that. I don't think he will. I don't, I don't Lineker no. isn't that guy. Do you think, know what I mean? I think, I think he has been taken aback by all this as yeah, well. Yeah, I think he felt very, very strongly and like understandably so and there's an argument that we don't have to get into now that like even, you know, the point that he was making shouldn't have even had to be what they would call partly, party political. You know what I mean? It was human rights but whether that's impartial or not. There is, there is a lot of contradictory yeah. guidelines towards what BBC presenters can do and there's a very specific uh, you know guideline that even uses sport as an example of somebody that isn't you know a sports presenter wouldn't be tied to the same level of impartiality as a news reporter etc so there's, there's an awful lot of different uh, contradictory things there so and, and contradictory and en- enforcement like course, there are yeah. Yeah. so many examples there's where it hasn't been enforced uh, on and there's still like questions about how this came to be as regards his his being stood down at the weekend and because bbc sport were happy enough for things to go ahead as normal but seemingly the word came from on high this is in the athletic this morning right that that essentially it was from the higher ups in the bbc yeah. had stipulated this happened and davy is some man for the climb down i have to say i think this is his third major one it's not he a climb char- down it's not a, it's climb, not down. a climb down well he was in charge of uh, audio and music at the bbc back in 2010 when he ordered the closure of the Asian network and BBC Six Music uh, only to be shown that that was in fact a wrong decision and they're both still on air at the moment and doing decent ratings. Uh, BBC Three is back on TV schedules as well, having been taken off and being a digital only platform. So quite how uh, Davey manages to run things from here on in with any degree of authority yeah. is uh, it remains to be seen. Well, he's passionate about impartiality. Pat Nevin, deep passion. Climb downs. Pat Nevin, one of the only pundits to go on BBC over the weekend. Yeah, I'm interested as to why. Yeah, so we'll talk to Pat after nine. I, uh, he's his own man to the end. So I'm, I'm really curious to see why. Because I mean, 
what Lineker tweeted would be right up Pat Street in terms of politics. So, um, like I said, I haven't talked to him. I don't know why. So we'll talk to Pat after uh, so nine. We're kind of like understandably like kind of like the climb down and where we are with the Lineker story. But I, do, I think we should reflect on regardless of rights and wrongs or anything like that, how absolutely mental the entire weekend was from Friday afternoon all, all the way through to Saturday night yeah. until we got whatever that was that they didn't even call match of the day, that 20 minutes of silence, silence football, uh, is one of the most remarkable sports slash media stories that I think has ever happened. You know, mm. just just the, the, the absolute uh, the, 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 uh, like avalanche of it over the course of Friday. It was just, it was, I could not, I could not refresh my Twitter feed quick enough. And it's a terrible trait because there's an important story underlying all this in, in what Lineker even tweeted about in the first place. And, you know, the, 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 the story becoming about celebrity TV presenter rather than the actual rather cruel policy and cruel language that Lineker is talking about is unfortunate and it's not great to buy into it. But I couldn't help it. It was just, it was so fascinating yeah. the way it, backfired so much on them and so quickly and how quickly it all escalated. Yeah. Amazing weekend. Like It was uh, an extra half a million watch match of the day or sorry, Premier League highlights on the Saturday evening. It was yeah. really boring. I would like to see if they all stuck with the full 20 minutes. It like, was hard know? to stay with it, I found. Yeah. It's just like losing concentration or something. Imagine being a blind person watching that show who was pointed out as well on oh, Sunday yeah. morning. That was a real slap in the face to That's any true. partially sighted viewers that would have been on BBC on, on Saturday night. Wait, did they I, not I'm not sure rights, what their options Did they were, not have rights to the World Feet? Well, that's what... Um, no. Okay. No, they okay. don't, they don't, one of the commentators the who, said, who released a statement said that they should use the World Rights Feed. But I don't think they had rights for some reason. There's a certain quirk there that the origin of Match of the Day doesn't have rights to its own uh, world feed. But uh, there was a point... Oh yeah, Jonathan Lew had written a piece several months ago uh, making the argument that football could be better without commentators at this stage. The picture quality is so good. Mm. We all know the players. They're not adding that much in the main. Let's just let us watch the football. It'll be akin to a stadium experience. Yeah, what did you think? Well, after Premier League highlights (laughs) on Saturday, I disagree. Disagree. Yeah. There's a there's an element I would like to see a little bit of a bigger sample size because there's an element sometimes when I'm watching the game that I feel like I'm being taken over by what Jamie Carragher's opinion is and I'm thinking more about what he you know like he's he's a really angry that something wasn't a penalty and he's going on about it for ten minutes yeah. and I'm only really taking in that rather than what I'm seeing in front of me and there is an argument that I wouldn't mind a world away from that. But I don't know if the answer is just no commentary. Yeah. You know, I think it needs to be, maybe it's a little bit more, less narrative based and more just see, say what's in front of you, you know. Uh, just in the football show, we're going to talk to Simon Cooper as well. Almost to sketch out the wider backdrop here, which is fascinating. And uh, he's written a book, Chums, How a Tiny Cast of Oxford Tories Took Over the UK. Really good book. Uh, highly recommended. It. It's excellent. And, you know, he's, he's uh, trying to pick apart, as somebody who went to Oxford himself, how it is that 14 of 17 prime ministers since 1940 all went to Oxford and most went to Eton as well. And so, for instance, the the Tory uh, pressure on the BBC, mm. Alistair Campbell, who's been everywhere as well, is very much painting this as this is the defund the BBC Tories putting massive political pressure, screaming down the phone practically on the BBC hierarchy to do something about Lineker. Mm. Now, I'm not sure if it's that, as Campbell says, or if it's more 
the Oxford Conservative Brigade who seem to run all these institutions having a polite hello old pal do something about Lineker there will you yeah no problem because the, you know we, we've all been hearing about over the last few days about the loan for Boris and the hierarchy of the BBC so Simon's going to come on and just yeah. uh, explain more about the weird way of uh, power it's a weird one it's UK. a weird one for them because at, at, a, at a point there was clearly fear within the BBC that the Tory government uh, had such power and looked like they had an endless road in front of them that the idea of it being defunded and the license fee being done away with and it being privatised, et cetera, et cetera, was a real possibility. Like, they're looking at a Tory government now, regardless of the influence that will be within the BBC, and it's certainly there uh, with Richard Sharp and Tim Davey, that this is a government that doesn't have a mandate anymore, that is really running out of road in terms of what it can do electorally and probably won't get in at the next election. So they don't necessarily have to kowtow in the same way that they probably did in the last few years to the Tories. Um, and it's probably within their, they're probably better off using this as a benchmark for what has gone before and what will come next and yeah. moving on and moving past it and there, moving past that fear. There's but, there's loads, by the way, in this piece with Simon that's fascinating. Again, it's getting, I appreciate it for a sports show, it'll be getting a touch outside the tram line specifically of Lineker, but it's just uh, fascinating. So, um you know, he'll argue why the, the prime ministers who were involved in various world wars had a certain empathy for their fellow man, whilst understanding that we're better than our fellow man, but a, cer- <laughs> a certain empathy, whereas the, just the latest batch, the 1980s uh, cabal that have been in really since uh, Cameron on, they're almost like frivolous and, and don't really know what to do anymore except try and take back power from Brussels because it's their birthright to uh, run the show. But uh, it's amazing that he was talking about the debating societies where like all these guys are all mates and they go on to run the country. But so at that time when Simon was there, if in the debate anyone, you know, prepared and brought facts as opposed to Boris Johnson just quoting from the classics and, you know, speaking in an entertaining way, they would get booed and people would shout facts, facts, as in you've used a fact. That's not allowed in a debate, you know. It's like a real no-no. Right. So... Uh, there's all sorts of interesting Grim stuff. Grim old world we live in, Joe. That's all I really have to say. Well, take I mean, that. when you draw a line from that to Michael Gove saying people have had their fill of experts, it's, uh, it's no, re- a really it's interesting a, it's detail. A, it's a, like, there was a lot in, like, there was a lot in this weekend and, like, what I'm taking from it today is, like, how mad a story it was and where, how quickly it all moved. But there's a lot of sad things in there as well. Like, oh, there grim. is just about the state of the world and the state of media and, you know, politics. But, it it uh, is depressing. I think Dion, actually, people, not to, to be promoting their own stuff, but the, I thought Dion summed it up really well in the paper review yesterday, talking about um, talking about how like politics has changed and our guidelines and the way we talk about politics in a so-called impartial way also need to reflect that. They need to reflect that these things are, can't be taken on face value anymore. They can't be taken for what they claim to be. And therefore, real impartiality, if you think about it, and I'm Quote myself, I'm talking for myself now rather than from D- for Dion. Real impartiality actually needs to be truth and the well, challenge, Nick, not, the challenge of all these things. Whereas uh, what 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 impartiality in America and more so in Britain and it's going to happen here as well has been portrayed as is taking on both sides of every story, but both sides of is, every yeah. story aren't always right. And but the, the impartiality thing as well on that that's not just a political thing. If you look at the way the Anthony Taylor situation has been handled yesterday by journalists who essentially are on the Manchester United beat and on the Manchester United beat alone, and I don't think in a lot of instances it needs 
a lot of two and two together equals fouring to realize that they're probably Manchester United supporters underneath it. The way Taylor has been treated online by a certain cadre of journalists over the past 24 hours has been disgraceful and he's been hounded. And that's that's because of essentially journalistic impartiality. Okay. Uh, before we completely get way out of uh, kilter here, um, <laughs> one last story. It is worth mentioning. So this this Katie Taylor fight is happening. It is indeed, yeah. Chantelle Cameron says a fight with Katie Taylor is one she's always wanted. The undisputed super lightweight champion has been confirmed as Taylor's opponent for her homecoming bout at the Three Arena on May 20th. Matchroom say ticket details will be released soon. They'll be like gold dust. Just added to the card today is the WBA super welterweight title clash of Terry Harper and Cecilia Brakus. We should mention too, the Republic of Ireland under 17s qualifying for the European Championships today. Mm. A 96 minute goal from Nixon Ockeson secured a 3-2 win over Cyprus this afternoon. Saw Colin O'Brien side finish top of their group above Italy and the finals will take place in Hungary in May. Okay, very good. Richie, thanks very much. Nice lads. Michael, thank you. Thanks Joe.